Hi, and welcome to the Soul Rising Podcast. I'm Dana. During your time here, you will step into your soul through enlightened conversations, meditations, and stories about healing. I started my own journey on this path long ago by earning a master's degree in counseling, becoming certified in regression and Reiki, and doing countless hours of work to raise my own vibration. It is my hope that you will see yourself reflected in me and in my guests and find self-awareness or a healing method that will propel you further on your own path. It's my belief that we aren't just healing ourselves. We are also healing all the women who came before us and all who are yet to come. Join me every Tuesday to feel more in touch with the beautiful soul that you are. Before we jump into this episode, I want to let you know that I am going to be leading a full moon circle in Taurus this coming Friday, October 30th, 2020 with my dear friend, Lindsay Mann. We will be guiding you through the process of release using Oracle cards, Reiki, and channeling messages. You can find more information and purchase tickets via the link in the show notes below. Today, I bring you the perfect episode to prepare for the upcoming full moon, as well as Halloween, with a conversation about shadow work featuring Heather Gaffney Darnell. Heather appeared earlier this season on episode six, and she returns today to help us understand shadow work, its purpose, and the role of spiritual bypassing. Heather has studied shadow work for many, many years, and she helps her clients move through this process of acknowledging the dark parts of themselves. She is going to help you with this today as well. Heather also has a few opportunities coming up that I want to let you know about that are in the realm of shadow work. She's offering two online courses over the first weekend in November, and the first is an introduction to shadow work taking place on Saturday, November 7th from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. The second is called Finding Power in Our Shadow, which takes place on Sunday, November 8th from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Both are offered on a sliding scale at an incredible price, so be sure to click on the links in the show notes below for more information on those. And also, during this episode, Heather mentions a digital performance art event, and I wanted to put a link so that you can purchase tickets to that event as well, and all of this can be found in the show notes below. Let's get into today's episode. Hi, Heather. Thank you so much for being back here again today. Would you mind reintroducing yourself to my listeners Heather was featured on season three, episode six, called The Power of Tarot. Um, She was interviewed also with Amber Silver Moon, so be sure to go back and listen to that if you haven't. For anyone who hasn't listened to that episode, just let us know a little bit about who you are and kind of what you do. Hi, I'm Heather Gaffney Darnell. My businesses are The Phoenix Nest and Psyche Intuitive Arts. I am a tarot reader. I'm an intuitive and clairsentient. And I've worked with ritual and ceremony for a long time. And I'm a gardenerian high priestess. And most of my work, especially with the Phoenix Nut, is geared toward self-healing, self-transformation. Kind of like the idea of the Phoenix is that we're always recreating ourselves. We have the power to recreate ourselves. And we have agency over who we choose to be and show up in the world. 
And part of that for me is doing shadow work. I've been reading for over 30 years. I've been doing ritual for over 20. So, I, you know, I've been, I've been doing what I do for a little while. <laughs> uh, I'm also an energy healer and do EFT. And I, I have a lot of little tools in my toolbox to help people get to where they need to be. Going back to the symbol of the phoenix, that's something that I have always loved myself. So I went to Elon University, which is um, outside of Greensboro, and for anyone who doesn't live in North Carolina, and our mascot is the phoenix. And so I've always really identified with that. Even back in my college days, it was wild. Yeah. <laughs> no. I did not know that. And I grew up in North Carolina. Yeah. had no idea. Well, they used to be the fighting Christians back when it was called Elon College. And my first year as an undergraduate student was the first year that it became Elon University. And we had the Phoenix as our mascot. So. Oh, wow. Really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the Phoenix has some correlation with the idea of the resurrection in Christianity. So I could see why they would go there. Yeah. So that's, that's very cool. I love that. It is really I love that. The little goosebumps. Yeah. Uh, I love synchronicity. It makes me happy. I know. And back then I didn't really, I mean, I knew what a Phoenix was, but I wasn't really into all of this spiritual stuff like I am now. And so I didn't totally register, but looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, it was right there for me all the time, you know? And I just, I really think that the Phoenix is also a beautiful representation of shadow work because we have to go into those flames, right? We have to kind of break ourselves down before we can rise back up again. So do you mind talking a little bit about what shadow work is for anyone who's unfamiliar? So shadow work, and when I explain things, I always explain them kind of like the world according to Heather, uh, you know, from my understanding. And how I understand and teach shadow work is that there are parts of ourselves, the shadow self is the part of ourselves that is inherent to who we are, but we tend to subdue and ignore because it is that part of the self that contains our primal instincts hold on to our wounds for us, holds on to the undesirable traits that we're taught are undesirable, like our anger, our assertiveness, our sexuality, our passion, our voice. So there's a lot of good stuff in there that we've been taught isn't. And I feel like my job is to help people find that part so they can, A, heal those wounds that are buried there and to find the gold that's hidden in that place. Because when we think of like shadow, I want you to think about all the dark places, the womb, the deep, dark earth, the vacuum of space where things are born and created on a constant basis. All life begins in the dark. We began in the dark. It's not a scary place. It is a fertile and rich place. See, I'm getting, I get goosebumps just saying it out loud. It is a fertile and rich place to become, to step into wholeness, to find our edge, to create positive boundaries, to, to be powerful beings in the world and step into our creativity and our service to others. 
And I feel like when we deny this part of ourselves, this is when we start to see it act out in other places that we react rather than consider like we react to our anger rather than consider why are we angry that we act out of that anger without considering consequences that it that it becomes like subconscious tape recorder in the background that shows up as acting out that shows up as self-sabotage that shows up as pretty destructive characteristics addiction addiction is a really good example of that that you know there are wounds or there are thoughts and feelings there that we want to bury so we self-medicate whether it's illegal drugs or alcohol or food or our electronics you know i'm i will bury myself in a computer game to shut things out you know i'm i'm still working on it that is that when you commit to this work to self-examination and self-healing it becomes a lifelong commitment and it's not it doesn't mean that you're buried in your stuff all the time it's just that you start to notice you become a lot more aware of your intentions and your motivations and oh why did i say that or why did i do that and how could have I reacted to it differently? How could have I, I have been better about it? Or what is this telling me about myself? Why am I angry right now? What is this reminding me of? What little piece of pain did I not resolve? I mean, it's powerful stuff. It's a powerful tool. To me, just listening to what I'm hearing you say, it's a lot about recognizing what society has taught us about ourselves that is quote unquote wrong that we should ignore or it's things that we are just too painful that we don't even want to look at. And so we try to find ways to escape it and to ignore it and to stuff it down either because we've been told that we shouldn't act that way or we feel some type of, I hate to use the word negative, but challenging emotion, you know, that we just don't want to face. So does that sound like it sums that up pretty pretty correctly. Sums it up pretty good because I like challenging over negative or bad. I do too. I, my, you know, just my conditioning, my first reaction is always to say the word negative, but it's never, it's not actually that. And I know that. And so I always have to correct myself. So that kind of goes along with what you were saying about, it's just a constant lifelong learning process of being willing to look at ourselves and to wrap ourselves in love around those things, right? What are some of the benefits of doing this kind of work? You know, why would someone even want to face some of those tough things? Why can't we just escape from them? A big benefit is self-sabotage. Some of us by ourselves success, positive and healthy relationships. You know, what we need to consider is that because part of this is a, rep- a primal response, that there's a lot of, sometimes there's a lot of fear there. At times it's developed in the child self. And the child self is going to do whatever it needs to do to protect his or herself, therefore us. And if there's, there are pieces, parts of you that think that like that, again, that tape recorder running in the background, that sounds and looks like your inner 10 year old. If they're afraid of relationships, afraid of people, afraid of their parents, afraid of a teacher, afraid of, you know, icky grandparents, you know, just whatever that, oh, people aren't very nice, that they're going to do everything in their power to keep you from committing to a relationship and will 
So part of that acting out, it becomes an unconscious response. So if we're aware of, I'm reacting from that fear, it all becomes information, really. So it's like, I can heal that part of myself that's afraid of relationships. So I can be in a healthy relationship and not be scared of what's happening right here. And then same thing with success, you know, oh, I'm going to fail. Oh, I don't have the tools to do this. Nobody's going to accept me. Nobody's going to like what I do. Nobody's going to, you know, just blah, 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 inner critic voice that we often hear as children or when we're young and tend to be a lot more spongy to other people's opinions and emotions. And oh God, when we're adolescents, we hear a lot of it when we're adolescents, we are biologically we are very spongy when we're adolescents because we're learning to become individuals that we're learning to disassociate from what we've been taught and we're stepping into like social stratification and where who am i and where am i in the world and we're a lot more likely to take on stuff so it sticks with you Oh, I'm useless. Oh, I, I'm never going to amount to anything. Oh, I'm taking on the wrong job. Oh, I should be a business person rather than a musician. You know, we, we take all of that to heart and it sticks with us. And then we start to figure things out. So we're here, we are, we're 40, you know, 35, 40, 45 and going, I'm miserable and I hate what I do for work, <laughs> you know, and I'm ready for a change. I, I am seeing it happen over and over and over again that people as they start to dig in and figure out who they are and bless them they're on you know i see so many people that are like i'm confused and i'm terrified because i don't like what i do and i know i need to do something different but i don't know what that is yet so this work can help them examine that and to maybe pull on the power and the the power and the tools that are there, like, yes, I am a passionate person. Yes, I am a vocal person. Yes, I have strong opinions. Oh, I have leadership potential. Like there are all these things that get stuffed in there that you're told were bad and you get to pull them out and go, oh, wait a minute, I can affect real change in my life and in the world. And that's fantastic. You know, if you're looking to make significant change, shadow work is it. Sometimes this work isn't called shadow work. You know, it could be shamanic work. It could be medicine work. It, it could be like, it doesn't go by just this name. It's just what I've learned about. And a lot of the teachings that I draw from are from Carl Jung and his research about the idea of the shadow of the self and what that means for us on a psychological level. But, you know, these are parts of the self that we've been dealing with for thousands of years. Um, I have a dear friend, Robbie Warren, you may know her. She's um, a local shaman and medicine woman um, and teacher. And she's like all shamanic work is, is shadow work because it dives into the deep, deeper parts of the self to find out what's going on there and to affect a change. I love that explanation. And I think that makes so much sense. And you know, listening to you talk about how some of our sh things that are quote unquote shadows or things that people have told us uh, about ourselves that end up being positive. I've really been exploring lately the idea of parenthood. I'm a mother to two small children and mm -hmm. 
you know, there's so much pressure to be this perfect parent because I have trauma from my childhood. And the last thing I want to do is give my children any shadow work that's tied back to me. But the problem with that is that we are all imperfect human beings. And so sometimes I have to remember that maybe some of my shadow is meant to help my children grow. They chose me as a soul for a reason. Now, this doesn't give me license to abuse them or something. I'm certainly not um, purporting that. But, you know, just some of my flaws, it's, it's okay to not be perfect all the time. And I think what the most important part is, is to show them, is to apologize maybe when I have kind of gone a little too far and to show them that there can be self-reflection and that you can say, you know what, maybe that wasn't the kindest thing of me to say to you and I'm really sorry. I don't know. So I've just been kind of grappling with that kind of back and forth and just the idea that maybe some of our more challenging qualities are have a purpose and that we we have them for a reason. Do you have any thoughts on on that? Well, first of all, what is perfection even anyway? Right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, that's a that's a cultural judgment label that we place on ourselves. Yeah. And some of us oh, you work and you're a mom, doesn't that take child away, time away from your children? Oh, you don't have children, you must be really selfish. Mm-hmm. Oh, you have children and you work at home, you must not contribute much to society. I mean, there's always going to be somebody that has an issue with what you're doing. And I think that there is a lot of richness in teaching others through your own process. Mm-hmm. One of the ways that I learn, is, it, like when I have teachers, I don't want them to be perfect. I want them to be transparent. I, I feel like everybody's in a process and anybody who says that they aren't isn't being terribly honest with themselves or others. The ones that are in their process and they know they're in their process and are willing to share that process as a teaching device are the teachers that I choose because that's how I choose to teach. I'm not here to teach you shadow work because I've got it all figured out. I'm here to teach you shadow work because it's worked for me and I'm still in that process and I'm going to be until I die, until I leave this lifetime. And it's not, again, it's not that I'm buried in it. It means just that that my self-analysis and self-checking and learning about who I am is always going to be there. It is a constant in my personal world. And sometimes I forget and I get, you know, I'm, I'm human and I'm, I'm in a mood or I'm in my grief or I'm in whatever, but you know, I also feel like part of shadow work is to feel what you're feeling because sometimes the only way through, you know, out is through that we've got to go through it to get to the other side. Absolutely. I mean, if you don't face it, then it just continues to kind of fester in a way and continue to Mm -hmm. pop up in all different areas of your life. And, you know, I've noticed from doing work like this too, that I I finally connect the dots if I'm willing to look at it and be like, oh, this is the same issue that stretches across this relationship and this relationship and that, like, it all comes back to me, actually. (laughs) This core. You're your common denominator. Exactly. And it doesn't absolve anybody of their own, like if somebody's doing harm, they're doing harm. Right. But how we choose to deal with that harmful 
treatment is kind of up to us. And, you know, like, let's just take anger for an example. Especially as women, we are taught not to be angry. We're not allowed to be angry. We're not allowed to stand up for ourselves. I think usually when we get angry, it's because we've had a boundary that's been crossed. We've not been heard. We've not been able to express what we're really feeling underneath it, which may be fear or hurt. But anger at its core, when we can use it as a tool, think about all the things you can get done with it, what it it spurs us to do. Like it helps me get my house clean, but it also helps me to speak my truth. And, you know, look at things that are happening socially and politically right now. I know that, you know, people are like, oh, they're so angry. Yes, of course they're angry. Of course people are angry because, you know, they're, they're a group of people that have been marginalized and, and, and subjugated for, you know, several hundred years. And, you know, since the inception of this country, they've been been under somebody's foot. Yes, of course they're angry. And it's not just their anger, it's ancestral, ancestral anger too. And we need to be willing to listen to it. But no, we have a tendency to try to say, well, they're just so angry and they're not gonna, when somebody's angry and they're having a personal issue, take a moment to just don't react to it, don't absorb it, listen to it and, and see what that person is trying to say to you. When we do our own shadow work, it helps us step into compassion and understanding of other people's shadow. Because we stop personalizing their behavior. We can stop and go, this person's feeling a certain amount of pain and fear, and it needs to be heard. So shadow work doesn't just help us. It helps how we relate to others. So not only do we heal, we give other people an opportunity to heal. Yes. If we're able to see that shadow within ourselves, then we can say, well, of course that person would have some shadow within themselves as well. And we can offer that compassion, right? Right. So what Absolutely. are some uh, misconceptions about shadow work? You know, what do some people think it is? <laughs> I've had, I've been asked, well, aren't you giving that part of yourself control over you? Um, no, you're learning to relate to it. I've been asked, well, doesn't this awaken demons? No, because this is you. This isn't anything external to you. Um, my big, biggest misconception that I run across about this work is that we are embracing this part of ourselves and we are turning it into so we're all light and no, no, we're not. Darkness exists for a reason. You cannot gestate in the womb in bright light. You need to be in that darkness. We have darker days during the winters so the earth can rest, so we can rest, so plants can rest. So when you were asking me about all hollows and us stepping into the dark of the year, that's part of it. The part of the shadow work is just learning to be still and to be with ourselves and to be with what's within us. 
I've also heard people say, oh, well, you do shadow work so you can get rid of it. You're not getting rid of anything. This is a part of you. This is intrinsic to who you are. There's no getting rid of anything. This is an embracing to you so you can step further into wholeness. Would you cut off your own arm just because it hurts? No, you wouldn't do that. So would you say shadow work is more of an acceptance of the darker sides of yourself? Absolutely. Right? Like it's not, uh, it's not trying to change it. It's just an acceptance of it, allowing it in. I think sometimes I have a healer friend that refers to, like if you're operating from your child self or from your wounds, sometimes they like to drive the bus if you're holding on to a lot of wounding and anger in that part of yourself, sometimes there are parts of you that try to drive the bus that, and that's how we end up sabotaging ourselves or hurting others because we're acting out. It is an opportunity to recognize that I'm a part of you and you're a part of me. Like if we're going to pretend like the shadow is a different person outside of ourselves, I'm a part of you and you're a part of me. And we need to work as a whole. We need to work as a team. So it's more than just acceptance. It's, it's learning to be in relationship with that part of yourself. So it works for us rather than against us. Now, bear in mind, anytime it's sabotaging you, it thinks it's working for you because it thinks it's protecting you. Interesting. That the act of self-sabotage is a is an idea that if I do X, Y, and Z, then I'm going to get hurt because our bodies don't know any different. Like the screaming parent, the critical parent, it's activating that part of yourself that knows what a scary bear looks and sounds like. If you see the bear, you know to run from the bear. You know that the bear will kill you. You know that, um, that you don't want to, be a victim to the angry bear, but the inner kid can't run from a parent, but the chemical and biological reaction is exactly the same. The rush of adrenaline and cortisol, the effect of your ability to do comprehend, to comprehend anything, your comprehension goes out the window when you're in crisis. And that has an effect on you. It affects your amygdala, that, that fight or flight area of the brain. It becomes hyperactive all the time. So you are in a constant state of hypervigilance and you're looking for you. It's not that you're waiting for the next moment of crisis where mom and dad get mad at you. It's that you're pretending like it's going to happen at any moment to the extent that we, as adults, sometimes we create crisis because we don't know how to be without it. That part of the brain needs something to chew on. So that way you're always ready for what is perceived as life-threatening or dangerous, even though it's not life-threatening or dangerous. I think what happens over time is we store those things in our body and in our DNA. And Mm -hmm. we don't even realize when we are acting from that place of that small child who is scared of that big bear. We don't even know that that's what it is because we've had so much time and space from it, but it's being held within our DNA. So how can we unearth that? How can someone 
kind of get to the core and remember some of those things? Um, number one on my list is therapy. There are other cultures, ancient cultures, that had ways of working through that, through ceremony and trance work and their own medicines. We have therapy. And I feel like one of the safest ways to do it is to work with somebody who is trauma-based, that they have um, that they have training in trauma, meditation, yoga, tai chi, qigong, things that work energy through the body. So that way you can work the trauma out of your body rather than sitting here chewing on it in your head. That even if you work it out here, the neck down still remembers. So exercise of some kind, you know, angry dancing in your living room to punk rock or metal, just whatever you need to do to work those emotions out. Because sometimes we can't put a logical reason to it. Like we may not remember specifically what happened. All we know is that I'm feeling a certain sort of way and I don't understand it and I don't particularly like how I'm feeling. So we can use physical exercise to work it out. Body work, massage can help work it out. Writing, journaling, getting our thoughts down on paper. Art, art activates the body, the kinesthetic self and creating, you know, even if it's coloring on a blank piece of paper, it can be a really powerful way to just move that out. Connecting with nature, that's a really good way of helping to work through it. So there, we have all these little devices that we can do that have less to do with our talky selves and our left brain selves and can work it out through the body. Yeah. And I think I would add just being a past life regression therapist myself, I think I would throw that in there too, because I personally believe that we can hold on to things from past lives as well and bring those in. It is my personal experience that that is absolutely accurate. That I've, I've carried, for me, I know that I've carried some things out and I've experienced and seen too many things to, to deny that. Also ancestral. Yes. Trauma is carried through the mitochondrial DNA from our mothers. So if there has been a lot of violence and trauma, you know, it could be wars. It could be um, familial abuse. It could be a lot of things, but we carry that forward. And heaven forbid if the mother experienced any kind of trauma while the baby was in the womb, that right there by itself can have a huge, huge impact on how we react to stress coming out. You know, there are a lot of biological components to it. There really are. I think so too. And I think if you can't quite put your finger on it, if you really rack your brain through all your memories and you're trying to figure out what it is, if you really can't pinpoint it, then it, it could be coming from somewhere else. It might not even be yours, like you said. It could be something you're carrying on or something you've brought in from a past life that you want to work on in this life mm -hmm. that will either create certain situations for you to learn from or will point you on a certain path to healing that you have to kind of wrap up from a past life. So I firmly believe in all of that. And I think that can really impact our shadow work here. 
And they all kind of worked in, in tandem with each other. Like it can be a big tangledy mess because what if you, you know, let's say you grew up with really unhappy parents that suffered from their own mental and emotional disorder and were projected onto consistently the subtext is there that the child thinks that they must take that on for their parents in order for them to feel better. And here's the thing. You don't have to be an empath for that to happen. Right. You're doing them a favor by thinking and feeling and being the same way that they are when it's not yours. It's not authentic to who you are. And you have to kind of retrain the brain. Like, and all that's just neurological. It's not necessarily energetic. And I think energy plays a part because it's just kind of the world that I live in. But, you know, it, it parts of it can be just neurological and how your synaptic pathways set up and the brain sets itself up for trauma and crisis. It's a lot to unpack. <laughs> it, it is a lot to unpack. I think it could be easy to get really overwhelmed by it, but it, it, like you said, it's a lifelong process. It's something that you just... You kind of chip away at, and you don't have to do it all the time. It's not a constant process either. No, it's not. If anything, for me, it's helped me um, be more patient with my own process. Like I suffer from anxiety. I take a pill now to keep that under control. It's done me a world of good. If anything, it has improved my ability to do readings because all of that mental stress chatter is kind of out of the way now. It makes us more patient with our own perceived imperfections and mistakes because it teaches us that we're not unfixable, that we can become better, we can feel better, we can experience joy, and it's okay to experience joy. If anything, it's made me a happier person in the grand scheme of things. The greater the depths that you can go to, the greater the heights you can go to as well, right? Exactly. Well, and, and it means that I have a lot of wounding or experiences that aren't dictating and weighing down my own life experiences, that I don't have to carry that weight anymore, that I can be in relationship with this part of myself and do positive things with that and happy and amazing things. So what is spiritual bypassing then? And how does that relate to this topic? Because I think that's really important to bring up here. Spiritual bypassing. Spiritual bypassing. I love that you actually asked this question. Spiritual bypassing is this idea that if I'm connecting with deity of my own understanding and I'm being positive, you know, doing my positive affirmations and I'm being a good person and I feel good all the time that I don't have any work to do. It's, it's basically saying that if I believe strongly in my divine self and, and positive works that I've got nothing to work through. It is problematic on a number of levels. It sends the message that if things should go bad while you're doing your bypassing, 
that we take on um, elements of self-blame and personal guilt, like, oh, I'm not doing it right. I'm not doing things right. I'm not working hard enough. I'm not being positive enough. I'm not being all of these things that the spiritual teaching says that I should be. And another piece of harm that it causes is how you tend to view others. Oh, well, they're not working hard enough. They're not being positive enough. They're being in their negativity and in their pain. So this is why they're sick or this is why they're poor or this is why there's crisis. Like it doesn't acknowledge very real human process. It really comes from a place of privilege. It really does. Because, you know, I listen to the person, oh, I'm doing my positive affirmations and everything is light and love and happiness and this. What about our American poor? What about the homeless? What about American blacks and people of color? What about starving third world countries? What about, you know, these are the things that pop into my head. It's like, okay, are they having bad experiences because they're not thinking the way that you do? No, you have a life that affords you that ability. It lacks compassion. It lacks understanding. And it leaves out this whole chunk of the world that is struggling and starving or in pain or in crisis and are definitely suffering from some level of trauma. And that by understanding our own stuff, our own shadow, our own pain, our own trauma, our own struggle, and embracing that as a part of day-to-day life, we can better understand what's going on in the world. We can, you know, extend a hand to them and help. It just doesn't make much sense to be that separated from your own pain. Like it's like you're being asked to separate yourself from your own pain and some spiritual practices, you know, and to me it also smacks of, certain Christian teachings that if you are not right with God, then you're going to suffer. It's, it's, it's just different terminology, but the same attitude and it lacks love and it lacks compassion. I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about it. And frankly, a lot of judgment Mm -hmm. that we have a lot of pain and struggle going on in the world. And we need to be willing to, be in understanding of that. And if we can do this work, then it will help us along that path. There may be people that can afford to be in their light and love and positive affirmation selves, but there are a lot of people who can't. And I'm not going to sit here and put judgment on them and treat them poorly or without compassion because they're not in the same mental space. It's not realistic. It's not life. It's not the world that we live in. I think it is illusionary and it's problematic. It's people wanting to focus on the divine parts of ourselves and ignore the human parts of ourselves. I really think that's what it is that we, you want to like escape from all this. You want to ignore all of, all of the hardship that is in your own life and in the world. And you'd rather sit in that place of love and light 
and just pretend it's all not happening. It's an, I think it's another form of escapism, but it's a dangerous one because it can hurt so many people. Right. And it can hurt yourself. Yeah. And, you know, and, and your, your comment about divinity, what face of divinity are we talking about? Right. Right. How about Kalima? How about the Morgan, who is my personal matron? What about Sukhmet? What about Durga? What about Aries? A lot of faces of deity are not pretty. They are fierce. They are warriors. And they represent forces that exist within our day-to-day world. Mm -hmm. Like if we're going to treat God source like one infinite source, how dare you limit it so much? I don't get to say what God source is because if it is all encompassing, it's all encompassing. And it means that it contains all the things that we're uncomfortable with. Do no harm? Sure. Try to do no harm, you know, but what does that mean exactly? Does it mean that you don't get to set a boundary? Does it mean that you don't get to speak your truth? Does it mean that, you know, you don't get to defend yourself? Should somebody attack you? We're here. We're here on this planet earth. We are here in the physical and sure it may be a setting for us to learn, but you need to, we need to start grounding some of these spiritual principles into how we live our day to day because we are here. We are not out there in spirit. We are right here. And this is where the learning, this is the, this is the classroom. So what are you going to do with these principles as a physical corporeal being? Because it does have its limitations. It just does. We get sick. We break bones. We have car accidents. You know, we have an economy that rises and falls. We have politicians who are not very nice. This is what we got to work with, right? This is what we've got to. So the test is, how are you going to work your spiritual teaching or your spiritual lessons within the context of what's happening in the world right now? That's why I feel shadow work is really just so important. Or at least, you know, deep personal self-evaluation. This is why I feel like it's important. Because we're kind of all in this together. We are. And this is the perfect time in history to be working on. Yes. Actually, I think it's more necessary. Because we've we've gone through a weird winter in the middle of spring and summer. Mm-hmm. When people are normally out and playing and doing and experiencing and COVID has created the situation where we have to stay at home and be with ourselves and think about our lives and what we're doing. Repeat message that keeps coming up is like, okay, I'm here working at home and I'm reevaluating what I want to do with my life because we're in automatic self-examination and reevaluating where our world is, shadow work. There is a tendency to treat spiritual practice like it's a novelty. Mm. If it is pretty and exciting and it makes me feel good and it's interesting and there are crystals and there are flowers and there's a strong aesthetic to it, people are all about it. But when they find out that there's any kind of work to it, they tend to set it down because they don't want to do that work. Good spiritual practice. Yes, I'm going to put a label on it good effective spiritual practice is more than an aesthetic. We need to to quit treating it like a novelty and get to work. 
because our world cannot afford for us to avoid. It's two sides of the same coin. Coming up on Halloween and all Halloween. Yes. How can we kind of incorporate shadow work into this? Because I believe that it's a day when the veil between this world and other realms are much thinner. So how can we take advantage of that and do some shadow work? We tend to be able to touch our ancestors more readily at this time of year, but there's like a huge energy influx that comes with it too. I don't know what Halloween was like for you as a kid, but Halloween for me, like I, I got what I call my Halloween feeling, that I always felt really energetic and excited about everything. Mm-hmm. And like there was this opening within myself. So I almost feel like with the, the thinning of the veil that there, there's like an expansiveness that comes with it. And that the air of mystery, the air of magic, um, the colors, the, the devices that we use at this time of year, whether it's jack-o'-lanterns or, you know, putting on your best witchy garb, that it helps us to step into something, into the power of what is darkness, that the power of mystery. And part of what I feel working with the shadow is, is that we're dealing with the mystery of the self, that we're dealing with the parts of ourselves that we've never seen or acknowledged. And what it does is it helps give us the power of connection, connection with each other, connection with the moon and the stars, connection with the earth and its cycles, that it's a really powerful time to be contemplative, that we can be more contemplative about who we are as kind of magical beings, because all of us have a little magic, I feel. And it's also a great time to honor your ancestors, the legacy that they've given us. For some of us, it's not necessarily a positive thing. For some of us, it is. But it can help us weigh that and determine what gifts that we can get from that. And I recommend leaving offerings, like there are certain certain foods that your dead grandmother liked. You know, light a candle with her picture and, you know, set her a plate of cookies or like my grandmother loved, you know, cream cheese and olives. My sister who passed in 2000, she loved chocolate and red wine and apparently donuts. So, you know, it's a not, it's a time to be able to connect with the, with those people that have gone over. And it's also a time um, that we can receive their wisdom. So if you're feeling like super intuitive and feel like you're getting some really profound messages, write it down. It's a good time to write it down and to journal and things like that. Because the days are getting short, getting shorter and shorter as we go into winter, being contemplative and going in turn and taking time for rest is really important as the days get colder. So yes, rest, relaxation, yin activities, art, crocheting, journaling, meditation, things like that are really, really helpful. And the other thing that this time of year can mean for us is that Samhain, what we call All Hallows' Eve, it is the last, we have three harvests, one at Lamas or Lunasa, Lunasa, 
at October the 1st where we have our first harvest, which is the initial grain and fruit. Then at autumnal equinox where we harvest the grain and then at Samhain, which is the first, you know, the first of winter, it is the last. And this is when a lot of animals go to slaughter and that the last of the, of the fruit and grain are gathered. So there are two things. It's like, what are we harvesting as we go into the dark? Like what energy can we take with us as we go into this time of rest and contemplation and stillness? And what can we take with us when we're in that space? But it's also a time for what can I let go of? Because there's always something being released as we take that dive into the dark. So if we need to unburden the shadow, if there's pain, if there's um, habits that we need to release, that we can do that ritually. We can write it on a piece of paper and release it into a bonfire of pieces of memorabilia, an old t-shirt, an old journal, an old, like that links us energetically to a past. We can let that go. So it's actually a really, really good time to unburden the shadow and to unburden ourselves of habits and feelings and attitudes that are not serving us. It doesn't mean that it's going to solve everything at once, but it can at the very least open a door and clear the way for really powerful work to happen. I think the vibration of Halloween, at least in our modern culture where people are putting up scary decorations and you're going to, I mean, not with COVID right now, but people would go to, you know, like a scary haunted house or a hayride or something. You're literally like walking into fear. The vibration of that beautifully matches shadow work that that energy around right now really supports you and in walking into your own scary mess. So I think harnessing that and seeing that that connection there can really help us dive into shadow work as well well yes because we're in the other part of that is that we're walking into a parody of what scares us that it's not real that it's activated by imagination so if what i'm walking into in this this haunted house or this hayride or this this corn maze if it's not real and it's being activated by my imagination, what else is being activated by, by my imagination? The things that I think I'm afraid of, how big are they really? And if I take a chance on myself, like I'm brave enough to go into this, this corn maze and realize that somebody, something's going to jump on me and make me scream at the top of my lungs. If I realize this about myself, what, what would happen if I took a chance on something that seems very real to me and go and start that business or teach that class or write that blog or confront somebody who hurt me? You know, what is the worst possible thing that could happen? 
Yes, I totally agree. Heather, would you mind pulling a card for us? I know you have um, a really awesome Halloween tarot deck that we talked about in our first episode together. You mentioned how neat it is. And so I normally pull the cards, but I'm handing that over to you. So I'd love to see what we get today. All right, I am shuffling the cards. So what do we need to know today? Temperance card. And in this deck, you have what appears to be a very young witch in her kitchen. And she has a black kitty on her shelves and a bunch of jars and um, jars and cans of ingredients on her hat. You see an owl sitting on the brim. So wisdom is with her and she has what appears to be a little puppy in her pocket watching her pour liquid and she has a bubbling cauldron and measuring spoons and a recipe book. It may be a grimoire. Um, and then there's a little picture of an eye up on the wall and a vase full of flowers with irises in it and it's very pretty and lovely so it you know it looks like an awesome witch's kitchen and she's obviously creating something so temperance is about alchemy and connecting the pieces and parts of our lives so we're, you know, this is a good time for us to find balance. Like how is my work life balancing with my personal life? How is my leisure time balancing with my work time? Am I getting some time to myself? How, am I able to ask for time for myself? So it's kind of like we have an opportunity to take the pieces and parts and treat them like ingredients and find balance and wholeness in our day-to-day. I typically see it as assertive action versus receptive action and finding the balance between those two things. That I'm giving a lot, but what am I doing to feed myself? What feeds me? I love that. Thank you so much, Heather, for sharing that. You're welcome. Thank you. It's so fun using that Halloween deck. And just want to thank you so much for your time and for talking through shadow work with me. If anyone listening is interested in learning more about you or in working with you, where can they find you? They can find me on Facebook under the Phoenix Nest. And they can also find me online at www.thephoenixnest-healing.com. I apologize. It is still under construction, but my blog is up and my scheduler is up. And you can also send me an email through the website if you have any questions. And I also have classes coming up and I'm part of a performance that's happening with Satara on Friday, November the 6th from 8 to 10. This is the second time they've done it, but it's performances, dance performances that express aspects of shadow. And I'll probably be doing a little bit of a talk around that and some meditation. So. Perfect. That sounds great. I will have links to everything in the show notes below this episode. So thank you again so much for being here, Heather. Thank you for having me. 
I hope you found information, clarity, or inspiration that you'll take with you today and use in your everyday life. If you enjoy my show, the biggest compliment you could give would be sharing it with your friends, subscribing, rating, and reviewing it on whatever device you use to listen. Visit me at thesoulrisingpodcast.com or at the underscore soul rising podcast on Instagram and Facebook. A huge thank you to Purple Planet for the music used in this episode. See you next time.